When David Calder first proposed the idea of a Porty podcast, I immediately jumped at the opportunity and said, yes, we'd love to host it on Portobello Online, the local community website. Seven months later, we're now on to the 50th edition of the Porty podcast, and we thought we'd do something a little bit different. So I've managed to wrestle the microphone away from David, and we've turned the tables on him. And David, thank you very much for joining us on the Porty podcast, <laughs> on, yes. the, on the wrong side of the microphone on this occasion. Yeah, it feels really rather strange. How comfortable do you feel being interviewed? It's not really a problem because you have to bear in mind that I was a BBC reporter for 30 years plus. And for many times, it wasn't just a question of my going out and interviewing people. There were times when events were happening elsewhere in the country, elsewhere in the world, where I was gathering information and therefore I was actually end, ended up being interviewed myself. So, as I say, this is the 50th uh, podcast, and we were just trying to work out when, when they started. It started in November last year. In November last year. So, that's a rate of almost two a week? Two, it's around about that. That's what I'm trying for the one or two a week. The starting point was Belfield. Yes, that was the, the very, the very first, first one. Yes. And it was a public meeting held in the Portobello and Joppa Parish Church, St. Philip's, as everybody knows it. And I just took the equipment along and grabbed hold of, of Justin, what's his name? Uh, Ken Kenrick. Kenrick, yes, of Justin Kenrick, and said, would you mind giving me an interview? And he agreed, and then somebody else from the consultant said yes, and the rest, as they say, is more or less history. Did you just did that on a whim, or did you have an idea that this was something you were going to do? You were going to do a series of podcasts? Yeah, I was going to do a series of podcasts, and one of the triggers was the fact that shortly before the Portobello Reporter had come out and on its front page it said this is the last. Now thankfully we now know it wasn't the last but, and it was merely a trigger to persuade people to come forward to volunteer to keep it going but I thought to myself if that's not going to be around what is going to be reporting and what is actually happening within the Portobello area and so I thought okay let's jump to a different form of technology. So if they do come back, it's not necessarily competing directly. And I have all the equipment necessary to do this sitting in the house. So fine, why not give it a go? And, and broadcasting, you know, you've been doing this, as you say, for 30 years. Can you give us a brief resume? I started off in television. I was making documentaries for a now long defunct programme on BBC Scotland called Current Account. I did that for two, two seasons. I came back to Scotland after spending six years in London working for the CBI. That may seem a strange jump from working for the CBI to working for the BBC, but I had at university been heavily involved with the University Television Service. And also I, I had a relative who was heavily involved with the BBC World Service broadcasting from Scotland. It was a, a curious thing. I applied for current account and at the same time as applying for a job at the old Scottish Development Agency and by the time the SDA had actually even bothered answering, acknowledging my letter, I'd been interviewed, screen tested and given the job by the BBC, beating off I believe 300 people in the process. Mainly because I had been in front of a camera before and didn't find it frightening. You can tell very quickly when somebody sits down in front of a camera whether you, know, you can see in their eyes the uh, rabbit in the headlights. Ah, so it was something you felt quite comfortable I, I felt with? I very, very comfortable about that and oh. fine. 
so I did that, then went to spend a little bit of time working in the newsroom for the then fledgling Radio Scotland. Was persuaded for a short time to go to STV. Didn't enjoy that much. And at the end of that was convinced by the then head of news, current affairs and sport for Radio Scotland that I should come back, but as in a freelance capacity, which would allow me not just to work for news and current affairs, but anything else, which allowed me to, well, I presented programmes to do with science, the arts, the only thing I never touched was sport. So give us a few highlights then from your broadcasting career. Well, the main highlight, I suppose, was two seasons with the money programme. And that was done in London. It was doing really interesting things. My wife, Penny, curiously, uh, she was working at that time for the Bank of Scotland. And we actually made a feature about the Bank of Scotland's being the first ever online bank. And I suspect we may have met at that time, but that was years and years and years before we uh -huh. Uh -huh. finally got together. And there have been other highlights. For example, uh, got the opportunity to go to Brazil. What were you doing there? I, I was also, I wasn't just broadcasting, I did some uh, writing as well. I was writing for the Scotsman newspaper and I was their technology editor for a while. Okay. And I got an invitation out of the blue. It was an indirect one. That I'll give credit to a guy called Christian Hannestadt who works for a PR company here in Edinburgh who had noticed something about an organisation called Fenasoft, which was the largest computer fair in Brazil. And they were looking for foreign journalists to be flown out, first class, to uh, Sao Paulo, where the foreign journalists would judge Brazilian technology. So he suggested I get in touch. And about six weeks later, I found myself on a varig flight out to, out to Brazil. Nice job. It was a, it was a yeah. lovely time. I, I got stuff. I, I was able to produce material both for the Scotsman and indeed from the BBC. Mm. Uh, it was quite interesting trying to get back the, the material back, especially the broadcast material, because it is very much the early days of uh, trying to use technology to get material back. And that's been a recurring theme in your work, hasn't it? Using technology. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I can claim to have been possibly the first to use a laptop to get a news report back to the newsroom in Glasgow. I was also an early user of satellite technology. So, for example, I can remember sitting at the end of Loch Lomond, where a police search was going on for somebody who had gone missing, somebody with learning difficulties, who had been with a party and had wandered off. Unfortunately, that did not end up with a, a happy ending, but mm. it was the first opportunity we'd had to do live interviews from the middle of nowhere, essentially, back into the studios in Glasgow. So it was really quite a, an interesting challenge. And, and now into the 21st century and the era of community journalism and mm. Facebook Live. Which we have been playing with. Yeah. Not terribly successfully. <laughs> you have been doing it much more successfully with um, your... Uh, well, a much simpler setup, yes. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah we were, what we were trying to do was incredibly complicated. Yeah. And but we haven't been put off. With retrospect, I would have simplified things quite considerably and would have had a lot more time to test things before we actually tried to go mm -hmm. live. But it's been a worthwhile experiment. Tell us about the Caledonian Mercury. That's something else you were involved in. That was set up by a fellow resident of Portobello, Stuart Kirkpatrick, 
he had set up the online version of The Scotsman. And then I believe when the Johnson Press people took it over and ripped up everything he'd done, he left in high dudgeon. It was, for its time, a really good idea. I was looking back on it the other day and realising that actually I made 80, roughly 80 short videos for it. And this was a web-based news service? It's a purely web-based news service, yeah. yeah. And some of that was based here in, in Portobello. So, for example, I've made about three short videos about the rowing club in particular, which is something I get personally involved with. And, and this uh, idea of community broadcasting, that's something that you then developed uh, and formed your own company? For community broadcasting, no, but it was something I was seriously exploring. You know how what we have now is STV2, but before that you had STV Edinburgh and STV Glasgow? Yes. Well, I headed up a rival bid to that. Trouble is, um, we now know that some of the other bids around England had been awarded to a particular company. They had then handed the licences back because they couldn't raise the money. And Ofcom, I believe, looked at the various bids, saw the name STV and felt financially secure about giving that to them. And uh, I'm afraid we lost out on that. Around about the same sort of time, I was speaking to a guy who runs a community television service across in Helensburg. Trouble was, he was looking to license his technology. I wasn't prepared to think about or countenance the idea of spending about £250-£300 a month just set up on, on spec around, uh, around Portobello. So do you think there's a future for that kind of community localised TV service? It works in other parts of the world. There's no reason why it shouldn't work here. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of time, a lot of commitment, and it does take money. Yeah. So we'd have to find some way of persuading people to fund it. Local advertising. Perhaps. Local advertising. And certainly yeah. in Helensborough, because it was... They, had a, and they were actually managing to produce a nightly bulletin. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that they had quite a lot of BBC people who had been living in that area. So they were actually just able to in retirement contribute to it. What they were able to do was they managed to steal at least two-thirds of the advertising which had previously been spent by the local newspaper. And um, that caused a certain amount of friction, let's put it that way. I can imagine. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so coming back to the Porty podcast yeah. again then, so this is uh, the 50th one. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any particular favourites so far? Or? Well, I particularly enjoyed doing, for example, the Porty Panto. That really worked because you've got a lot of atmosphere, yeah. even though it was just based on the rehearsals because it was promoting it. In the same way, doing something with the community choir, there, there's a lot of atmosphere that can be built up around that. So it's more than just a conversation. It's you've... more than just a conversation. Yeah. And, for example, where I'm doing something... Uh, I know I've, I've agreed with people that I'll do something about the, the the yachting side of things. Trying to get a recorder onto a waterproof recorder uh, onto <laughs> one, of, one of the dinghies and actually recording sound yeah. there yeah. would be something. That was so again, you'll have that uh, yeah. background. Uh, Getting that kind of background is important. Uh-huh. And can you give us an idea of what's coming next then? Because well, I believe you have something uh, rather special for the 51st one. <laughs> well, the 51st one will have uh, an international flavour. People will have seen individuals, young people, out on the beach playing with frisbees. And some of them are a lot better than others. I've noticed. <laughs> a lot better than me, anyway. <laughs> 
Well, uh, one of my former BBC colleagues let me know that her daughter is now a member of the ex no the ultimate frisbee British team and will be taking part in a world championship later on this month in the south of France. Uh huh. And so what I've been able to do is to speak to that daughter who's now based in Moscow. So we're using technology to do the interview. And, and uh, you're using uh, Skype? I used Skype. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the software I knew, usually use to record both sides of the conversation failed. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I'm not quite sure why it failed, but I used another program to record her. And what I'll end up doing is producing basically what, in BBC terms, it, we'd call a package. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in other words, her individual answers will stand alone and I will explain various aspects of the sport and the world championship. Okay well that, that sounds very interesting we'll look forward to that and we'll look forward to many many more potty podcasts to come I hope. Do you want to do this again at the hundredth? Well it, why not let's do it again for the hundredth let's <laughs> absolutely do that yeah and in the meantime I'd better hand the microphone back to you so you can get on with the job. Thank you very much David. My pleasure.